Welcome to the Days of Dev podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lesht, and my guest on this episode is Tom McHenry. I have been looking forward to this one. Tom is a good friend of mine and someone I've had frequent conversations with on everything this show's about. He didn't begin his career as a software engineer. In fact, after completing postgraduate degrees in English literature and fiction and working as a journalist through college and after, it wasn't until a life-changing event that Tom entered a boot camp to pursue a career in tech. Outside of working as a software engineer, Tom is an accomplished cartoonist, video game designer, marathon runner, weightlifter, husband, and now guest of this podcast. We had such a fantastic conversation that Tom's session is coming to you in two parts. Today, in part one, Tom and I walk through his entrance into tech, the benefits of unconventional approaches to learning, and systematic tactics for breaking down problems and achieving abstract goals. Now, my conversation with Tom McHenry. Chicago, Illinois for this one. 13 degrees, snow in the streets. Tom McHenry is my guest. Tom, winter is setting in, and you go for a run every morning. Do you, do you keep that up with, with weather like this out there? Uh, yeah, I, I usually do. Uh, I, I've been on and off my pretty consistent routine here and there, but I famously one time uh, went for a run in Chicago along the lake, and it was so cold that my glasses shattered. Really? Uh, so that's the kind of madman I am when it comes to trying to keep to some sort of consistent routine when it comes to, uh, yeah, my my physical regimen. Yes, that is a fantastic level of ambition. The glasses <laughs> shatter and you're still it out there. It was a very foolish move because I was five miles south from my apartment uh, and it was completely pitch black out and I could not see. Holy cow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to make my way back. Yeah. <laughs> Just sort of guessing where the road was. That is great. Um, I guess on the topic of gear there too, I suppose a follow-up question would be, I know that you run in sandals and mm-hmm. you, or a special kind of sandal, right? And you've run many Chicago marathons all, all the way through in these sandals. Uh, maybe you could, could you explain what those are? And, and I guess I'd be curious, do you keep that up in the winter too? Are you out there? Are you out there in these things? Uh, yeah. So I run in running sandals uh, that are made by this company called Luna. Uh, and they are, they're, they're modeled after a traditional style called a hurache, I believe is how it's pronounced. Although my Spanish has gotten rusty since high school. Uh, they're a thing that I first read about probably about a decade ago now. There's a book called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall uh, that is all about uh, ultra runners and trying to learn from like uh, uh, from indigenous populations who run just massive amount of mileage uh day in, day out, year after year, and they do it with extremely minimalist fruit footwear and why that would be and why they show almost no incidence of the same kind of injuries that we see in runners all the time. Mm. I, I read that book. Uh, I bought it on a whim on my birthday. 
like I said, about a decade ago and uh, read it and completely changed my running life, which by changing my running life and making running something fun that I enjoyed and wanted to do and was able to do without any kind of regular injury anymore uh, has just sort of changed my my overall life life. So it's really one of those little things that felt like that wound up uh, completely changing the shape of some some things and uh yeah it, that book is somewhat controversial now the minimalist uh footwear thing is less controversial but the uh there are still definitely partisans who think everyone who does this is crazy i just sort of plug along and keep doing it and keep not having any of the kind of injuries i used to have and i love it um to your question about whether or not I do it in this weather, I do. Uh, you just wear toe socks, and if it's wet or super snowy and icy on the ground, you can wrap those and like there's, they make these kind of. It looks like a like a mitten, but for your foot, okay, uh, that is waterproof. And so I have a toe sock, that waterproof thing, and then in these same sandals that I I'm still wearing the pair that I ran the marathon this year in. Uh, yeah, when I trudge around in the snow and I honestly, I used to have way worse problems when I was running in more traditional shoes. I got chill blains on my feet one year, uh, when I ran in traditional shoes, cause I stepped in, a, uh, I stepped in some ice that was actually a puddle and my foot got wet and I was, you know, still had like three or four miles to go. So my foot was it, my foot was wet at like negative five degrees yeah. for another half hour. And, uh, yeah, it gets real nasty. Interesting. Yeah, I don't full candor. I don't know if I'm going to try that anytime soon. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't necessarily recommending living the way that I live. It just works for me. <laughs> <laughs> that does make me think, though. There's um, there's this book out there. Stop me if you've read it. It's called um, the The Way of the Iceman, and it's by this guy named uh, Vim Hoff. And he's he's like legendary in the fact that he's a cold weather performance uh, performist, I would say. And he climbed, I think, up to like twenty three thousand feet on like Mount Everest. Uh, didn't summit, but did all of that in just boots and shorts and, and like nothing else. Uh, he's uh, he's run marathons, I know, in below zero weather in just shorts. Uh, and the book offers actionable lessons for for withstanding the cold and i think he practiced oh. very similar concepts like minimalist minimalist lifestyle but uh yeah i read that a few years ago to try and convince myself to do chicago's polar plunge um, uh-huh. which if you're not familiar it's this yearly event where they open up lake michigan in, in february the middle of winter and f- anyone out there can can dive in and uh uh, I suppose have some fun out there, right? Uh, but anyways, read the book, did not do the polar plunge, uh, but on the topic of taking a plunge, you didn't start out as a software engineer. <laughs> as I, do you enjoy that segue? That's do you great, like that segue? segue? As I understand it, your earlier career uh, was based around the web, but as an editor. And I wonder if you could set up for us your background and what prompted you towards a career change into tech? Uh, yeah, so it's kind of a, a, a long rambly story, but um, I actually wind up learning anything at all about HTML because my dad, uh, it was just something that he was like casually interested in. His job, he was a uh, 
steel worker. Like he mm. not at all uh, in a tech field or whatever, but he was kind of playing around. We got the internet in my house when I was like 16 and he, he was just messing around with like making little websites and he was like, hey, check out this thing that you can do. And so I knew a little HTML uh, and knowing a little HTML when I went off to college meant that I was like making little websites there and all through college I worked all through college and a little after I, I worked as a journalist. Um, and basically I got my first like adult grown up job where I like didn't stand behind a register or I, I not that being a like I was in a journalist and in an independent paper. So it was like kind of like a real job, but like the first job out of any kind of college situation where like I had to be there at nine and leave at five, uh, I basically got hired because I knew a little HTML and I was super fluent in the Associated Press style book mm. and had some facility with like writing and editing, right? Uh, so I, I, I was hired to basically work for a nonprofit association, essentially taking their press releases, uh, wrapping the tags that were required and putting them into a CMS, hitting send you know, or submit and, and they would show up on a page. Uh, and they figured out pretty quick that I was a quick study and that, you know, there's actually not that much to do with, uh, just taking a press release that's already formatted and making sure that the bold parts are, have a strong tag. Well, I think it might've even been a B tag back then. Uh, and, uh, like and I was quasi bored, so I started learning a little CSS so that I could kind of tinker with making pages look a little better because they were still using the stock CMS that they were had built out for them like five years before I got there. So it was a revelation that like I could give a page a sidebar and call out things with like block quotes and whatnot. Oh yeah. Uh so yeah, I I was doing that and knowing that I could do that, people would ask for, for more and more stuff. And that turns into like learning to interact with pages, being able to do a thing where like, I guess I could look at how to take this and sort it either A to Z or Z to A if people click on things, which means you're learning some basic JavaScript, right? And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm at that job and I've kind of topped out at all the challenges I'm going to have. There's not really any path to higher promotion um, apart from waiting for my boss to retire someday. And, uh, right around then I have this crazy thing happen where, uh, I, so I'm a cat owner. I've got no uh, two cats back then. And, uh, one of our cats, uh, bolted out the back door of our apartment and, bolts out the back door and down a bunch of staircases and then hides in this weird uh, hole in the wall that we'd never seen before. And I run down after him to try to get to him before anybody opens that back door and he bolts out into the city and he's just gone for good. Right. Uh, reach into this hole, this like weird dark hole, fumble around, I'm able to grab him and this, he's super freaked out now. And uh, as I pick him up and carry him up the stairs i'm trying to hurry as much as i can to get him into the house where he's like safe and we can keep him back under lockdown and uh that whole way running up three flights of stairs he's clawing and biting at my hands and i'm 
grabbing him just tighter and tighter. So I burst through the door and I sort of fling him across the room to just have him out of my hands so that he'll stop hurting me. Sure, There's sure. blood everywhere. He, from he you lands, or the cat? From me, not oh. from him. He's fine. Uh, he's freaked out still, right? He he kind of hits the ground and stumbles and slides into the water bowl and the kibble bowl. So there's blood and water and kibble all over the floor. Jeez. It's just like it's a huge mess and like seems like kind of not that bad. Like I'm laughing at like how crazy this has gotten. I bandage up my hands. It seems like not that big of a deal. I just have to wear like six or seven band-aids. Right. And uh, over the next day or two, my hands become super duper infected from these cat bites and scratches and such that like i go to the doctor about it when like kind of red and itchy that first day and i go to the doctor and i'm like this is kind of weird and he's like oh no animal bites well take the super strong antibiotic and if it isn't better within a couple of hours you need to go directly to the hospital and sure enough it wasn't and my hands just like swelled and swelled and swelled till i couldn't bend them and uh it was excruciatingly painful i couldn't sleep and uh it was kind of dicey about whether i would have to have my hands amputated really when i got when i arrived at the the hospital they had to you know they x-rayed it and they were like we can just pump you full of even stronger antibiotics and hopefully that will cut back the infection but it you could see it was like a was slowly pulling on like red like long red gloves you could see it slowly creeping up my arms and they're like if this gets to your heart you're dead like holy cow so so we you might lose one if not both of these hands and basically i spent a week in the hospital if i could stop you there yeah. for a second i i have to dig into that I sure what do you be, got I'd be, I, I guess I'm just curious too, how, what did that conversation even look like? I, what, what was the, like, how was that broken to you that you are in a position where they might have to take your hands away? Uh, so that, luckily that's only the very, very beginning of it. Like oh. they, it starts responding to the antibiotics very quickly, Okay, but they do have like, when they x-ray it, they're like, we're going to, we have to see, and, you know, cause sometimes an animal's tooth when, when bit like this will come off it. So it could be a tooth is in there causing the, or a claw. Um, but yeah, essentially you need to understand that this could culminate in like the worst case scenario here is you could have to lose one or both of your hands. And like, that's really upsetting to hear. But luckily I was in such pain. I was on a ton of morphine. Okay. okay. Me. I'd never had morphine before in my life. I haven't had it since. Uh, highly recommend it. Completely <laughs> uh, m- helped me to understand the opioid epidemic uh, oh. in a way I never would have before. We're like, oh, it just feels great. Your whole body feels warm and great for a second. You're in, you, you know, you 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 arrive and you're in pain and you've just been in pain for so long. And then uh, they go like, sometimes people feel a little nausea, and you're like, as long as I feel anything that isn't this, that'll be. And then it's just like, ah. Oh. I guess, yeah, that sort of mutes to your ability to just process. You might be losing your hands at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm more processing that by seeing my my wife's face Ah. (laughs) and her kind of like, and they're like, just just so you know, like, this is a thing that sometimes has to happen. It kind of depends on how well you react to the antibiotics and whatnot. Um, So yeah, even though it, the, the infection, like, stopped being threatening to my body, my hands were still super infected. They were just giant bags of pus if i can be kind of disgusting about sure, it, sure. right and they were still super inflamed i so i couldn't do anything like except sort of sit and heal and if you're me 
all of your interests involve the use of your hands. Like I, you know, I draw and I write and, you know, I, I even know how to do some HTML and CSS and JavaScript and like, yeah. Those are important appendages that any, yeah. anyone would would uh, right right. It turns out be at a loss. useful all sorts of places, uh, and I can't even I can't even use my phone to like read Twitter mm. because I can't. My right. hands are my hands are bandaged. My hands are, are are both like wound up in bandages, so I can all I can really do is like watch television. <laughs> and at television gets really boring really late at night uh, when you're in a hospital and there's only a handful of cha- channels. Yeah. So I wind up spending that time just taking a good hard look at my life and like I realizing that I've not been happy at my job and I'm not really being challenged anymore. And so that leads us to the question of like, well, what do I like about this job? I clearly have stayed for for reasons and the reasons aren't just like the financial security of having a job and health insurance. Those are some of the reasons or the or the security of like seeing the same people every day. I liked most of my coworkers. It had to be, there had to be something here and it it had to be more than just the taking, like putting basic HTML tags around stuff, right? And like, I really liked when I got a thing that I think you and I at this point in our various career, in our career paths would not see as, as difficult at all, like take this page and if a person clicks on chronological, sort it chronological, if they click on alphabetical, sort it alphabetical and, and just spend a week really puzzling that out and like reading everything I could about okay, JavaScript, how do I sort and like writing a simple search function or something and just really like blocking out time and getting a whiteboard and, and jotting down code. And like that part was very interesting to me. And so basically I got the use of my hands back. I had to do physical therapy for six weeks or something, but I, I was getting my hands back and uh, pretty much as soon as I'm able to to type with any kind of ability, uh, I I I went and I applied to Deb Bootcamp. That is an incredible story. I feel like the it's unfortunate that you had to land in in that kind of position, go through that pain, obviously. But I guess do you look back on it fondly in the sense that you know not many I think have that opportunity of deep self-reflection that it seemed you were able to despite what led you there come come away from that situation with uh yeah i mean i am i am very grateful that it happened like uh all told you know uh i got off pretty easy like there are tiny there are tiny scars on both my hands you can't you couldn't see them uh, but you've been through the wars, a good war story. A good, got, a, to, got a good war come, story. Come away from it. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, my, my one hand does still kind of swell up a little weird on uh, like like when mm. the weather changes, which is a thing they said will probably go away in a couple of years. But just <laughs> never, never did. It hasn't fully. Like like it gets a little hard to flex and bend my, my right hand a little bit. Uh, but so if, if that's the worst of it, then that's the worst of it. But it took something. It took a really dramatic thing happening to shake me to wake me up to to shake me out of of the thing i was in to make me ask those questions because i was actively avoiding asking myself the question of is is this what i want to be the the place i worked and and sort of the association world in general um i found in my experience was populated by a lot of lifers you'd get a job at an association and you'd just hang and you'd hang and you'd hang and 
maybe you would work your way up to the, you know, like any industries, there's kind of like farm league and then minor leagues and major leagues sure. versions. And like, maybe you work your way up to the major league version of the specialty or the NGO group that you're in. Uh, but you can, it's a place you can just kind of, you can kind of coast. And I had been coasting for a long time and I was terrified about not coasting because I didn't believe that I had the strength or the ability to do anything but coast. Uh, because I've gotten so used to it. I think that's what's interesting about programming. And I'm sure this presents itself in other um, knowledge-based fields, engaging fields as well. But what I have found at least is that if you are passionate about all that comes with a software engineering career, you almost, the coasting in a sense is something that you you avoid just because you are so engaged that when if you find yourself reaching that point it, it just becomes boring in a in in such a way that you want to find new challenges and with so many opportunities out there in the software engineering field um you're, you're able to pursue those it, by other by other avenues yeah yeah and, and you know i like i kind of like i i said a little earlier i was so grateful when a project would come that was hard that was hard for right, me it, right it stretched me past my limits and past a certain point too i was like making my own stuff on the side it looking back now like knowing as much code as i i do and like the ability to do things that i have there's i sometimes have the fantasy of going back to that job and automating 90 percent of it. <laughs> everything that you did before yeah which when you consider the amount to which i had already automated stuff or like basically treated myself like a like a robot who just like my job was to go and be at a desk between a certain set time period and in that time period i had we'll say maybe three hours of work someday. Yeah. But I had to be there, you know, butt in seat to prove productivity from nine to five. Yeah. And, you know, that means like I'm aware at some point that I'm a pretty quick study on some stuff and that I've done all these things so many times. They're like just well-oiled grooves. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting all day and reading every RSS feed in my RSS reader, which in the Google reader days, like I had so many subscriptions to things and I would read everything. I would, I would read every article on the AV club and I would read every, like every article on Metafilter that came that as, as it posted just to like, and then be like, Oh, we're about two, three hours in the end of the day. I guess I should work now. Sure. And then crank out the work I needed to do and still get it done, still get it done and, and look like one of the most healthily productive people in the <laughs> office because like, how is he turning this stuff around so quick? Because there's like the magic miasma of tech around it. And like, who knows how any of this works? And right. like, nobody, I'm the only person in the office who, who, you know, knew computer stuff at all. So for, for all they knew when, when I needed a couple more days on something, uh, because of me procrastinating because of any of these other things for all anybody knew, it was like, boy, it's a really he, tough problem. Yeah. Out there. He's, he's really, he's working on cracking this, uh, getting this CSS yeah. to, uh, make it, make the, uh, this uh, sidebar, uh, hover right or whatever. Get the drop shadow in there. <laughs> float just, right. Just That's right. what I was trying to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the drop shadow. Yeah. Get the drop shadow. The float right. Uh, 
Tell us sidebar. Yeah. Hey, are they still out there? You talk about automating. Maybe uh, you build it now and sell it on back to them. You know, oh. make a little uh, side coin there. <laughs> I sometimes think about, yeah, just if I just tooled around and being like my my one condition is I work from home uh, and so that I just find ways to right. find these like mid-level jobs where you could just automate everything and just turn them into like coin farms oh, for yeah. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, oh, gosh, I mean, so much to even dig into there. But I suppose you mentioned, so this event in your life, it brought you towards applying to Dev Bootcamp. Yeah. You get into Dev Bootcamp. I wonder if we could, you know, I think a lot of our listeners out there, they're interested in bootcamps um, as advertised. They tend to at least sell that they do place people into into jobs, at least some of them pretty effectively too. Uh-huh. Uh, I wonder if you could speak towards what the the atmosphere, the curriculum. I know Dev Bootcamp, unfortunate that it has closed down as you know the the developers that I've spoken with uh, that came out of that program. Um, super talented and all speak super highly of it. Certainly, I hope this didn't just bias your opinion, although <laughs> no, I, no, I wouldn't think that it would. Uh, but yeah, would love to hear your take on it, the atmosphere, the curriculum, what you saw as the most helpful things coming out of the boot camp, setting you up for the real world. Uh, yeah, so uh, I have done an inordinate amount of school in my life. I have, uh, so 18 years in your public education system, uh, four years college, uh, two years for one master's degree, two years for another master's degree. I've been in a lot of classroom settings. I have been, I've written a lot of essays. I've done a lot of labs, like all of the, all of the stuff, right? I could, a lot of letters on paper and after your name as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're silly and they mean very little, uh, in it, both in the job market and uh, practically like there's a part of me that does not super respect, uh, the degrees I have. Cause I see them as like, like a magic trick or something mm. like uh, like i know how they were made so it does it doesn't doesn't trick me but sometimes it tricks people they're like oh letters after the name uh it's, it's just a ton of debt that i bought <laughs> jeez uh but i so so the thing that one of the most striking things that it's difficult to get across about that boot camp that is also difficult to know if other places run like this is the inverted structure of a lot of the learning process. So they would throw us a problem that was harder than we were ready for and let us spend the day beating our heads against the wall. And then you'd go in the next day and they'd be like, all right, what was hard about yesterday? What didn't you get about yesterday? And you'd be like, I didn't get this, this, or this. Like, I have zero idea how recursion work. And they'd be like, all right. And they would build and, and they'd be like, all right, you know, in an hour and a half, we're gonna have a little sit down in this other room. And they would like write the day's lectures essentially off of the stuff that people couldn't figure out the day before oh that's a cool approach yeah so you've already chewed on a thing and are certain that there is zero way (laughs) that the concept of recursion works and then you you go in a room and matt baker is like here's how recursion works and you're like oh the ah, of course you have to return if the value's nil i don't understand i didn't understand I feel like that is such a great approach because with any programming problem, I think that any individual might fall or have difficulty with with different components. Yep. And other elements may be, you know, just totally easy and something that you can breeze through. So like calibrating your lessons against what what those challenges are, that's a that's a phenomenal way to look at it. Yeah. And and, and so so you've got that element of it, right? But then you also have the element of 
everyone pairs every day for the whole day. Well, from nine till five. After five, you're free to like work on your own. But that means that you are teaching each other. That means, so that thing that you're describing where people struggle with different things, absolutely true. But that also means that you're going to explain to, like, I understand this, but we might not understand how to solve the problem of taking an integer and turning it into Roman numerals in a string. Right. Yeah. But I remember how Roman numerals work from school. And you're pretty good at, you've, you're the first person in the class to like really have mastered, you know, the innumerables and like that we can for each over, we can turn this, we can take these integers, we can turn them into a string and we can split them like, and between the two of us, we can arrive, we can, we're trying to convince each other of a solution. And so it's that, it's that great thing that comes out of, out of pairing where it's both like, a chess game and also you're like arguing a position but you you need to also be empathetic and hear the ways in which you are wrong so you're you're already in a spot where you're wrong all the time sure <laughs> the yeah. problems are too hard for you because you are a dumb baby you're, you're forced into that position yeah, yeah. and yeah. so so you as a dumb baby have to be like okay well i at least know this piece and i can if i can convince kevin across the table that maybe this is the way that we that maybe it looks like this join function might be able to pull this all back together into one string uh and it it forces you both to be super humble well and and the people who who can't get humble and who can't be present and be an active listener and all that stuff they're the people who can't hang i love i love being i love the idea that that is exposed to individuals so early on too, because I think that's training for just so many elements of what is a career in software engineering. Yep. You think about like even something as uh, as rote as, or what can become as rote as like a PR review, right? Like you think about this thing that happens every day, all day, right? Uh, but where you might be hammered from all different angles with different perspectives, different feedback. And if you're not receptive to that, you know, you're very quickly... Um, I think going to not fit into any organization, you know, certainly you need to be able to express, defend and challenge others. But at the same time, you also need to have an open mind and understand that there are other opinions of of value out there. So I think being exposed to that early is super helpful. I also like the idea too, I suppose that if you are in the setting of a boot camp, you know, you're very early in your career, everyone, if it is an engaging atmosphere is going to be asking questions. And I think this is one of the reasons I love pairing with more junior developers so much um, is because of those those questions that really a more you know a more senior developer if you reach a place where maybe you never took a deep dive on something you took it for granted you took magic a lot of magic out there certainly in the world of frameworks you never <laughs> you never explored these things but i'm remembering back to a situation where uh working through a ticket with a junior developer and the question was asked you know i think we were writing a statement where i called like dot map or something like that very uh-huh. very, very like what you would maybe at surface level call like a simple explanatory method right and then develop the the junior developer i was working with was wait well how does that work right there and then it's like well shoot how does map actually work like (laughs) what what is going on under the hood Uh there uh let's dig in and let's find out uh yeah i feel like an atmosphere like that just sounds like a a fantastic experience yeah i mean and if i had my druthers right like there would be no (laughs) deadlines on any project and we could we could all be like 
really digging in on, on math, right? We can My, go down all the tangents. I'm sure the product managers list, uh, listening out there love, love, love this framing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like it, 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 it does all help. It does all flow, but don't worry. It does all flow back into the business value. Profit oh, is still generated. Eventually. The long tail benefits. Long tail benefits, figured, yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, like the fact, and, and when everyone is new, the when it's juniors teaching juniors, that's that's so magic, right? Because there's weird cargo culting that happens where people are like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this is how, like, I think this is how this works. Because I saw an example in Stack Overflow. So I think this is just the main way people do this. And then the other person is like, cool, I, don't, I didn't see that, but I'll, I'll just go with it. Sure. And so we have developed the understanding that like, this is how... This is how active record works. It's Industry all, standard. Yeah. yeah right, this is the yeah. main way to do active record. And then you're wrong. And you're you don't find out that you're wrong until later. But like that will work. You will be able to run off that cliff for kind of a while. Yeah. Yeah. Longer than I think uh <laughs> many uh, many realize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so much of like so much of the mid to senior career path, right, is just accepting that you are never out of that cycle. You are never out of the part where you are like bluffing a little bit and also relying on old things that you can trust you're like you've got the things you know really backward and forward and you can trust you've got the little bits that you that you are bluffing a little bit because you're like well this is how that's just how map works like i've written so many map functions and so like right i I get it like i don't need to look at ruby's specific implementation yeah but maybe you do (laughs) yeah i think the valuable attribute to always uphold there that that you hit on uh, a minute ago is just having that humility you know when you are challenged or questioned a little bit against one of these you know paradigms that maybe you have taken um, as truth for your entire career and just as the way things are done or something you know being able to to dissect that and to explore that in a way that that promotes you know betterment for both sides i think it just sets sets everyone up up for success and and learning there yeah Yeah. it's the it's the classic thing where where the teacher learns more from the student yeah absolutely yeah than the student like the student's actually getting the short end of the bargain i'm like yeah which is which is that same thing like the 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 weird inverted deb boot camp style of teaching that i like was like so fell in love with right where (sighs) having some you still have the authority of a teacher who gives a lecture but it comes after you've built up a lot of illusions Mm. you you, maybe you did solve the problem and you're like this is how this is how things work i coasted through today and i was done i was done with all today's problems by 3 30 and i just kind of kicked back and then then you see how yeah teacher comes back here's five edge cases and 10 ways where it breaks down or something and they don't even you know they don't tear apart your specific solution they Ah. just say like okay this is how this thing actually works or like here here's an implementation i'll give you an example uh so the very first the the legendary first group project uh, how how dev bootcamp worked was at least when I went I can only speak to a very specific cohort a very specific time in one specific location but how it worked was um, you every Friday was a group project so you'd work in pairs uh, Monday through Thursday and then you'd be put on a team of four for Friday's group project, which you'd have all day Friday to work on and the weekend and then Monday you essentially handed it in. So the very first week where you are learning basic Ruby, uh, the Friday group project is four of you have to write a Sudoku solver. Hmm. And they it literally starts with them showing you what a Sudoku puzzle is because some people haven't encountered it at all. Sure. And they're like, here's a, 
here's 16 Sudoku puzzles, write a thing that will solve all of them, go. And that's, you know, at 9 a.m. And this is, have you, at this point in Dev Bootcamp, is there any exposure to um, Ruby or whatever the programming language stack is? Or, or There's exposure. To, you've, had, you've had four days of pairing four, on four, Ruby. Four stuff. days, okay. And before that, like before you arrive off of the on-site portion, you've done like... Uh, like not a Coursera, but like a like a Code Academy, like a some like prerequisite basic to get Ruby. You up to speed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, you've got like some real general stuff, and you've got your copy of like uh, uh, oh, whatever that Ruby book is with the red cover and the lady on it. Oh, uh, uh, Pooter, Sandy Metz's you, Pooter. You you have Pooter, but Pooter doesn't really come into play until like the next week. When okay. you start really learning about class structure and stuff. You've got um design patterns in ruby uh, no i don't know it's not it's not super important to start you have you have a you have a book that you can look at but it's not going to be super helpful to you maybe and uh then you have what you've learned over the course of the week where you've written a lot of like those ruby tapas kind of uh solutions you know take a string and uh and flip all the letters to the a different corresponding letter in the alphabet, like a rot 13 setup or, uh, you know, t- turn, a, a, a integers into their expression in a string. So make 57 turn into 57, the string, uh, a lot of those things. And now solve Sudoku. Now write a thing that will solve. Sudoku. Yeah. Okay. And you know, you can work all weekend on it. If you want to, you can come in on Saturday and on Sunday and people did, and we, my, my team, I was on, we had a, we had a real hell of a time. Uh, we worked super hard and we got one that would solve a lot of Sudokus, like a lot of real basic to mid-level Sudokus, but it wouldn't solve all of them. Some of them just freaks out and couldn't, couldn't handle it, the algorithm that we thought of and implemented. So we went on a Monday morning and everybody's like, how far did yours get? And basically everybody's got to about the same place. And then we went into a lecture room where one of the instructors uh was like okay well it's like it sounds like everybody kind of struggled to get it all the way through but like let's just take the things that we know and try to write one together in the room like all of us together and i'm just gonna show you kind of my thought process and in maybe maybe 35 minutes uh he wrote a solution that solved all of them that's great just codes it out live just coded coded it out live just like i think this is how this will work oh yeah that's and like the the defeat but not a like sometimes i tell that story and i think people hear it wrong and they think it was a like a flex move on this guy's part like check it out idiots here's how you write it for real but it it was more like it was the humbling thing it it was like kind of awe-inspiring and like oh i could i could think that way soon like i could get to the point where i thought like that and also, like, just it, so it, it, like, at this point, you've already been through three months of prep work before you go on site, and you've been through a week of on site, and it's been hard. It's hard all the time. And you go home and you just immediately fall asleep, like, while you're eating dinner. <laughs> and then you see something like that, and you're like, wow this stuff is so cool like if i if i invest the time i can get there i can get there and and it's not like at no point in the in the process did he go like and now magic like (laughs) sure it's it's just a thinking through of the problem in a systemic 
solve tiny problems. Like it's all of the stuff that they tell you to do that's part of this job over and over again, which is like, don't solve the big problem all at once. Find smallest problems, solve those small problems, solve them like in that way where, I mean, he's doing it because he's just like, uh, like skilled at it, but like use direct solutions. Ruby lets you write things that read like sentences let you write and like don't write these you know i i remember having this whiteboard that was filled with so much of uh like us trying to figure out the code to make uh to solve like diagonals or something and don't think of it that way think about writing the like little tidy three to five line methods that are well named and so, you know, you look at the, what the ultimate thing that he's written and it's like, yeah, it's, it's a tiny, it's a tiny, like 25 line solution. It's like maybe four or five methods. It just recurses through it all and produces a solution. Like it, it was completely, completely wild to see like, oh, you thought you knew these principles, but you have to apply them even harder. And if you keep applying them harder and harder and harder, you'll get to a point where you just are solving this next step in front of you. And you do that and you do that. And sure enough, you arrive at a thing that for pretty smart people spending an entire weekend covering whiteboard after whiteboard with right, text, right. we couldn't get there. And he yeah he's probably done this demonstration before maybe but he didn't have access to secret knowledge he didn't know secret methods there isn't a secret like uh oh you can add the sudoku module and then just call dot solve if you give it 60 <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> you know, like built-in method right. to the ruby library Whoops. Yeah. like it was there this whole time there's right. no secrets it was it was in fact a lot of it probably he could have optimized a lot of it and he chose not to he chose to like going to explicitly write hard code out a couple of things uh yeah and it was it was it taught me so much and was so inspiring for like while being absolutely devastating by just crushing any sliver of confidence that you'd built like oh yeah no like this is what i'm here to do but at the same time, it sounds like at least demonstrating that you invest the time, you invest the effort. Oh, you too could get to this place. Of, oh, yeah. Of, yeah. I, I sometimes think about just uh, trying it, like seeing like, okay, you know, I'm now, <laughs> I, I've just, I just figured out, I think uh, I got accepted into Deb Boot Camp like four years and a week ago or something it's like mm. we're, we're just past like an happy anniversary, anniversary. Early yeah, anniversary. thank you yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i'm still here and they're not and that's a shame yeah but uh I've, i sometimes thought like like when when things like the anniversary or whatever roll around i think like you know what if i tried to do that now because i i bet i i bet i probably could it probably I, solve the problem or could be so, a, a solve the sudoku instructor oh yeah. solve this specifically in the very very short term i wonder if i could sit and solve the sudoku problem maybe not in like under an hour but, but, you know, maybe like I, I kind of remember the gist of like what you're actually doing and how the thing that you actually need to do is it you don't want to uh, step through it iteratively. You want to do it recursively because you need to look at all the possible network of possible solutions mm. and then lop off the ones that that uh, don't arrive anywhere. But that's terrifying to do when you barely know 
any code what at all. recursion even is yeah like, yeah. Like, yeah like you've yeah. been exposed to recursion two days ago <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so yeah everyone's too timid to try that approach and so no one can get all the way to solving this entire range of easy problems to difficult problems yeah it sounds like though too even outside of the one problem that was this sudoku exercise just so many good takeaways there i think that i mean the one you hit on that resonates super deeply with me was the idea of just breaking things down into to smaller components and i think programming you know it's said often but i think it really does just change your mindset for how you solve and dissect problems in general i think it transcends any programming language but just oh sure the idea of breaking things down and also the idea of you know stubbing out um you know data or even returns of entire methods entire segments of whatever your problem set might be setting them aside or demoing out stubbing out an example you know, data return so that you can at least work with that component of the puzzle, but focus on some other set. Uh, those kind of things that you hit on there, I think are just valuable to have in your problem solving tool set, regardless of language. Uh, that's such a cool way to to formulate a program like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think to your point on that, like the thinking about once you start getting that real, like the power juice engineering mindset of taking a giant problem and splitting it into smaller problems and then splitting those into even smaller problems until you can do a tiny thing, like you start seeing that kind of thinking everywhere. Uh, and you start, and, and if you approach other problems in your life that way, I have a lot of problems when people try to engineer uh, uh, people. Like people aren't code, right? And pe- uh, I, I think a lot of times we try to do things like uh, write process to code people to work the way that we expect them to work. And it, it never fully works. And then mm. we look at the process and we're like, well, I guess we just need more process. Sure. Uh, but but setting all that aside, setting aside my, my real problems with it, I think th- the things that are have been very useful to me personally are looking at abstract goals that I might have like in my life and trying to go and going like okay well if this were a ticket i would go back to my pm and be like this is not a this is not a uh, a workable piece right this is not i can't i can't do uh be fluent in french like that's <laughs> sure like sure. what is yeah. that that doesn't this doesn't mean anything yeah uh and so what how would it be how would i would i want this framed as a you know in a default user story as a tom McHenry? I would like to be able to read this book in French. This is an epic. Okay, so what do I need to get there? How can I incrementally work towards accomplishing that that epic, if you will? Yeah, yeah. So so splitting that up into to teeny, 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 tiny bits and going like, okay, so my actual ticket is like learn the French pronouns. And that's my ticket for this week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can approach these things that way. And then... You... And that is a dependency of being able to formulate some sentence in <laughs> right. this language. Right, yeah. exactly. And it all bubbles up to it all bubbles being up. able to read this book. Eventually, yeah, you, you, you get to the, to the epic. Now, I don't... Like, I am super interested in, in systemized personal productivity stuff. I think a ton of it is... <laughs> is people selling a thing that isn't real and there's a lot of there's a lot of hype out there and there's a lot of stuff that's just bad 
out there. It's it's you applying too much like capitalism to your brain and driving yourself crazy. Sure. Yeah. But I think if you also what is also true is if you look at things like habit research and like you know there are these books like The Power of Habit or like Atomic Habits that James Clear book and stuff they're telling you these same things over and over which is like start with the smallest piece and do the smallest piece and it, you know you asked earlier about like I run like every day well I run every day. I, I'm on a I'm on a streak of running every day for eight days as of right now, and I'm tracking that streak because that helps me encourage me to like. I want to keep that streak number going. So that's like one of those tips that I swipe from one of those books. But what's also true is what I count as a run has to be like a mile or more. Now most days I run a 5k, but some days I don't, I'm not really feeling it. And I run a one, but so that, what's that? That's solving the smallest unit of what counts as a run to me, which is a mile. Interesting. Yeah, I guess you could, you could define that any way that is going to allow you to keep uh, chaining the the links in that habit yeah. building, right? I think I've read something, you know, I've read so many of those peak performance books, and I definitely agree with your statements that I feel like a similar concept comes out of one of them somewhere where it was speaking to the effect of, yes, define a goal with a very low bar just so that you can accomplish it and start building towards raising the bar and getting to, um, you know, sort of that next level and whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Um, With habit stacking too, or not even habit stacking, but just focusing on like one habit. I like what what I always, a quote I enjoyed from Arnold Schwarzenegger was, uh, he's, he's talking about how I think he was able to achieve, um, at least in the bodybuilding, weightlifting world, all that that he was able to accomplish. And he's got some quote that uh, he says something to the effect of when you're when you're trying to build a habit, in his case, going to the gym, weightlifting, uh, if you can miss if you miss a day, you can miss two. And if you miss two days, it's all over. It's gone. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And so the whole takeaway of that is don't even miss one day. Keep, yeah. Keep the chain, keep the streak alive. Yeah. I, 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 I have found in my life that uh, I am really good at go like enduring a lot of stupidity in order to keep a streak alive. <laughs> uh, so, so for example, uh, before my cat attacked my hands and I stopped being able to use my hands, I had made a like rule for myself that every day I was going to fill one page in my sketchbook. It could be with a giant X and I uh, was like, no, and never was. But my rule was it just has to, there just has to be some ink Just on put this pen page. to page and get started. One, yeah. yeah, once a day, at least once a day. And I kept that streak alive for seven years, seven and a half years about. And that's when my, that's when my cat attacked my hands. And then that's I, incredible. And I, so, and that, that includes like, uh, the day of my wedding that includes like being sick. That includes like so many different things happened to me in that seven and a half year span. But I still like, it, it was proving me to me that, it, number one, it doesn't actually take very much time to put some ink on a page. And if this was a thing that I was serious about, and it was, and it is to this day, uh, then I could and should set a hard boundary around five to 10 minutes of my day. Now, like, you really need to have something like, I cannot move, I cannot use my hands before you can start being like, I do not have five to 10 minutes to give to this. Right. Now, sometimes am I drawing, like, is it 2.30 in the morning 
and I've been out with friends and drinking and I'm like, I'm so exhausted. I can barely keep my eyes open, but yes, that, that happened. But I still put some ink on a page, which in some ways is like a footprint of the fact that I was alive on that day. That is great. I know that uh, that sounds similar to, um, you know, good friend of ours. And I'm not just saying that because of he's our boss, uh, Dave, <laughs> Dave Junta. Uh, no, fantastic guy. But he also practices a similar, uh, I don't know if you'd call it exercise, has some fun where he, yeah. take, he takes a photo every yeah. single day. I don't know if the underlying goal there was to get better at photography. Uh, but the thought that triggered um, his work there is that you mentioned, you know, it's getting late in the day and maybe you got to draw something. I've definitely seen him take some pictures and post him. And it's <laughs> like it's like 1158. And I'm just imagining him being like, oh, shoot, like I got to yep. get this photo done for the day. But I think it's a cool exercise and it does. It keeps your momentum alive. And I think it also, to your point, um, just builds those reps towards whatever skill set you are trying to to better yourself against um as far as is reaching those those goals too i wanted to circle way back to something i was super interested in that you hit on a few minutes ago which was your process for it sounded like you know drawing from the world of you know of agile of process design in software engineering where we've got epics we've got tickets that are working towards those epics and there are steps in between dependencies you mentioned that you might set some abstract goal like i want to learn french and then you've got more finite more narrowly defined goals building up towards that i'd be curious at, at even a more abstract level outside of that could you take us through how how you design a a given week or even maybe here how about this could you play into the show here what does what does a day in the life look like for you <laughs> you know we've already hit on so many things you know you're employed as a software engineer uh you're a cartoonist which i think we're going to talk about deeply in a bit here okay but if we could yeah use the opportunity now uh you're practicing all these things. You know, you're a runner, you're a weightlifter, you're a cartoonist, you are a software engineer. What does it all look like? Give us give us a day as a, with so many things there, I think all I can say is give us a day as a Tom McHenry. That's coming up next time in part two of this episode. For show notes and more on this episode, head on up to the site. That's dayasadev.com. While you're there, check out our release notes. This is a short newsletter that we send out about once a week. It includes updates along with all sorts of other goodies packaged up for your inbox. Thanks for listening. For the Day as a Dev podcast, I'm Kevin Lasht.